Ciao e benvenuto allo spettacolo. E ricordo, ci sono solo cinque giorni per fare acquisiti prima del mio compleanno. Hello and welcome to the show. And remember, there are only five days to shop before my birthday. Yes, July 1st, July 1st, mid-year, start of the tax year, the fiscal year in Australia and the UK, and just mid-year in the US, with really not too much happening there, except it'll be coming up to the 4th of July. You are listening to The Way It Is official Bobby Galinsky podcast. It is Friday, the 26th of June, 2020, and uh, we're coming to you from beautiful Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. I'm not going to give the weather around the world anymore, because I figure, really, who cares? If you're listening, you know where the weather is, where you are. So I thought that was pretty stupid of me. So I've excised that from the show. If you want to know the weather, stick your head out the window. But right here, it's about 13 degrees in Melbourne, if you're wondering what it's like in Australia. And we are back in lockdown, because Commandant Unterscharfuhrer Dan Andrews, the premier here, hopefully not much longer, has locked us down again because we've had a spike a spike in COVID woo flu cases, a spike, which is really a blip, like a few cases, an 80 year old died. Who cares? Really? Any day, anyway, any day, we'll get into that any day. Anyway, we've got an action packed show, action packed show. We've only got five days left till my birthday, which really more importantly, because I'm going to be 67. It's not a really huge birthday. It's not like when I turned 65 and I thought, oh, it's kind of pseudo-retirement age, get some of that U.S. Social Security, just kind of grind out some U.S. dollars there, get them for all those hardworking years that I slaved away in the U.S., slaved away, since slavery is so big in the news right now. And um, then the next real one is 70. 70 freaks me out, because I remember when my dad and mom were in their 70s, thought, that's it, they're old game over. But they lived till they were both 92, respectively. And both of their birthdays were the past two weeks. My dad on June 30 would have been 101. And my mom on June 22nd, she would have been 98. So happy birthday, mom and dad up there. Those of you that grew up in Sioux City knew my folks. Absolutely. The most amazing people on the planet. They're really only that I can remember on the planet was one person who would have said a bad word about him. And that was my late Uncle Harold. And he's dead, so there's no more bad words about him. Anyway, welcome to the show. Um, July 1st is also, those of you that are a bit history-oriented, oh, history, that won't be here much longer. In fact, how many more podcasts will we have until history is gone They started with the statues, now they're coming for the books, and then they're going to be coming for you. They're going to be coming to your door. So, wherever you are in civilization, and that is the troika of the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, and I do love all our listeners in Malaysia, in Singapore, in China, Argentina, Brazil, Germany. Um, Wales. We've got some listeners in Wales right now, and quite a few in Canada. Canada is one of the civilized countries too. We like Canadians, um, other than Justin Trudeau. But um, if you don't think that this insane attack from the unhinged far left is not coming to your door, wait and see. Wait and see. But speaking of history, while we do have history, July first was also the birthday of the late Princess Diana. So um, not many similarities between me and Princess Diana, really. You know, they say, you know, because I am a bit into astrology and we look at similarities on people with similar star signs, birth signs, rising signs, things like that. I don't see the similarities. I wear seatbelts, for one, and would never date an Arab. But anyway... But then again, I'm not from royalty, although I feel like royalty in my own house. So speaking of history, we're going to get right into the day, this date in history, because this is a huge, 
huge day, June 26th. Going back to 1284, 1284 was a big year. Not many of my listeners have been around then. But according to the Lüneburg manuscript, the Pied Piper of Hamelin led 130 children away. Now, I did a bit of research on this. The Pied Piper, I just thought it was, you know, like a Grimm's fairy tale or something like that. This was actually a true thing. In Hamelin, in Lower Saxony, Germany, the legend dated back to the Middle Ages. And the early references had a piper, you know, dressed in multicolored clothing, who was a rat catcher. And he was hired by the town to lure rats away with his magic pipe. But when the citizens allegedly refused to pay for his service as promised, he retaliated by using his instrument's magical power on the kids and led them away just as he had the rats. They kind of tried to defund him, like defunding the police, defund the piper. And the version of the story spread as folklore and um, has appeared in the writings of Goethe and the Brothers Grimm and Robert Browning and others. But here's the thing. There's a lot of contradictory theories about it. Some suggest that the Pied Piper was just a, a symbol of hope to the people of Hamden, who had been attacked by the plague. The plague was huge, kind of like the Wu flu, but they didn't have internet there yet. Came in a few weeks later. And he drove the rats from Hamlin, saving the people from the epidemic. However, the earliest known record of this story is from the town of Hamlin itself, which was depicted in a stained glass window, which dated back to 1300. And although the church was destroyed in the 1600s, several written accounts have survived. And there is a linguistics professor named Jürgen Udolf, who is the undisputed expert on this, and he favors a hypothesis that the Hamlin news actually wound up in Poland. These kids actually disappeared. And working with genealogist Dick Eastman, he found that hundreds and hundreds of Hamlin surnames actually showed up in Polish phone books years later. So the professor says that 130 children did vanish on a June day, this day, in the year 1284 from Hamlin. But he entered all the known family names. This is huge. All the known family names in the village at that time and then started searching for matches all over Europe. And he found that the same surnames occurred with amazing frequency in the regions of Prignitz and Uckermark, north of Berlin. And he also found the same surnames in the former Pomeranian region, which is now part of Poland. And what he surmised is that the children were actually unemployed youths who had been sucked into the German drive to colonize new settlements in Eastern Europe. The Pied Piper may never have existed as such, but, says the professor, there were many characters known as locators who roamed northern Germany trying to recruit settlers for the East, and some of them were brightly dressed, and all were silver-tongued. What do you think? I'd like to think that this all happened for real. We know the 130 kids did did vanish, almost indisputably. But was it a Pied Piper, or was that just folklore? One day we'll know from the town of Hamlin. And I kind of wonder if Harry Hamlin, the actor, um, I wonder if his family came from Hamlin. Maybe he's descended from one of the lost children of Hamlin. He could be the Pied Piper of Beverly Hills. He's a strange cat. He's aging quite rapidly. I do watch the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. As you know, I watch all of those with my wife. Love that show. He's married to Lisa Rinna. And um, he appears a lot on the show. He's one of the husbands that seems a bit normal and intolerant of everything. But um, I have noticed, just like we noticed Hugh Jackman in Bad Education last week, suddenly aging. I looked really close at myself in the mirror this morning, and I did not see any aging happening. I really didn't. I don't know if it's because I'm completely delusional or if it's because I had a bottle of innocent bystander Pinot Gris 2017 last night. That's what we drank last night. Very nice wine. Or if it's, you know, my skincare regimen. Or I think I'm just delusional. Who knows? We'll find out. We'll find out in some years when history is gone and all the statues of me have been taken down around the world. 
I don't mind. I don't mind. But while we are still on history, there's just a few other wonderful things. This is a history-driven show today. In 1498, the toothbrush was invented in China using boar bristles. Unfortunately, this technology has not made it to New Zealand nor the UK, but there is still hope. Is hope. And in 14, I'm sorry, in 1843, Hong Kong was proclaimed a British crown colony. Well, ain't going to be no more Hong Kong in about five years the way we're going right now, maybe in about one year. It's funny how we're not even thinking of the way China is oppressing and trying to destroy Hong Kong as communist totalitarian governments do. But um, I hope we can get through all this mess and I hope the people of Hong Kong will survive. Or, as Britain has offered, as um, Boris Johnson has offered, is to give them all visas to come to the UK. I think we should all take... Uh, Hong Kong is a, a bastion of freedom and technology and capitalism and good Western values, and we should let those people just about anywhere if China's going to smash them. On this date in 1912, you're probably wondering, what is this beautiful music playing behind us? That is Gustav Muller's Ninth Symphony, which premiered in Vienna. And while we're on it with music, let's do a, let's do a shift change. Because in 1870, Richard Wagner's Valkyrie Opera, the second in his ring cycle, premiered in Munich, featuring, yes, you're listening, Ride of the Valkyries which was made most famous as that epic scene in Apocalypse Now when the helicopters are just coming in and Robert Duvall's just going crazy and they're just shooting the shit out of everything. That is the one movie that made me wish I was a pilot in Vietnam. But as we all know from earlier episodes, I chickened out and tried to do anything to get out of Vietnam. But fortunately, the war ended before. I was taken overseas. Dodge that bullet. Sorry about that popping. Maybe I need to get a pop filter. Not sure. This is a very nice sure, 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 very nice sure microphone. So I'm not supposed to need it. Um, Anyway, as we move into the 20th century, in 1916, on this day, the Cleveland Indians, oh, will we be able to call them the Indians next year? Maybe that one will go away too. That could just, you know, offend someone. The Cleveland Indians experimented with numbers on their jerseys in one game. Uh, Those of you that have been to Cleveland, hmm, numbers aren't their forte. Um, 1917, the first U.S. troops arrived in France during World War I to save them from the Germans. Thank you, the Germans, starting every war on on the planet. Um... Yes, the Yanks arrived. And in 1918, the Australian steamer Wimmera was sunk by a mine laid north of Cape Maria Van Diemen in 1917 by the German raider Wolf and 26 of its 151 passengers and crew were killed. That kind of brings us back here to Australia. And lastly, in 1927, the Cyclone roller coaster opened on Coney Island. If you've never been to Coney Island, Coney Island is fast fading as one of the coolest, grooviest icons, entertainment centers of the world, which um, was one reason to go to New York when growing up. Well, now there's not a reason to go to New York because the Twin Towers were knocked down and everything else is being knocked down by all the rioters and looters and psychopaths. But let's segue the sport. Boy, he's got a lot going on today. You know what? It's because we are what history used to be. And we got to go back to the boxing sport world title in 1959. Ingemar Johansson TKO'd Floyd Patterson in three for the heavyweight boxing title. Boom, that was today. What about 1925? What happened in the movies, Bobby? Well, we love the movies. And Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush was released. I never really was a fan of Charlie Chaplin. I recognized that he was an absolute genius, but I was never a fan. I never liked The Little Tramp. Not a fan. And uh, that kind of brings us pretty much 
up to date. Today, what are we going to talk about? Well, also on my birthday, the How Do You Listen to Bobby competition ends. So if you sent photos through, and we've had some fantastic photos, which you've seen on the uh, Facebook site from around the world, the people listening to the podcast, we've decided on the prize. It's not massive, but it's good. We are playing the man, not the ball. And uh, we're giving away an Amazon gift certificate for $25. Now, normally, I really don't like Jeff Bezos. I don't like his politics. I don't like his fake news newspaper, the Washington Post. But I love his entrepreneurship. I love what he did with Amazon. Amazon's amazing. So he's a genius. So I'm forgetting the politics, loving Amazon, and whoever is selected as the best photo, which will be selected in a huge team of um, myself, my wife, and Stefan the cat, We'll get the Amazon gift certificate, which will be announced at the next show. And uh, happy belated Father's Day to those of you in the U.S. I don't know why Father's Day is September here. I should look that up. But um, happy Father's Day. No, it would have been a tough Father's Day for my late son Chris's kids. And a shout out to them. Their first Father's Day without their dad. And uh, I miss my dad, too. He was a very profound influence on me, and I would wager that 90%, that's just a guess, at least 90% of the crime activity in the U.S. right now as a result of the riots, not the peaceful protests, but the rioters, the looters, the maniacs, I would guess that 90% of them either do not have a strong father or don't even have a father at home because... When you've got strong parents, strong father, you don't go out and do bad stuff. That's just that's just part of the three F's of family, faith, and freedom of, of speech that uh, are the hallmark of conservative values. Conservatives don't riot. And uh, strange goings-on in Hollywood. Weird strange things we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about politics. The U.S. presidential race actually just kicked off this last weekend with President Trump's rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the lockdown. We're going to talk to, talk to, talk about, talk about how the fight is coming to your door. And we're going to talk about dead designers. Now, we all know that I, I quite love fashion. Fashion is simply art that you can wear. And just in the past few years alone, so many designers, famous designers, have died. Um, today, the amazing director of Flatliners and The Lost Boys and Phone Booth and Falling Down and a couple of bad Batman films and such, Joel Schumacher passed away, massive loss. But we've had a lot of designers that passed away in the past few years. Passed away in the past few years. Can we say that real fast? And we're going to talk about them and who has taken over from them to keep the fire burning. Plus all of our usual favorites. So, welcome. Sit down. Pick up your gym equipment. Get in the bathtub. Get in bed. Start walking. Start walking here. I'm walking here. Sadly, no millennial will know that cultural reference from Midnight Cowboy. Oh, what's that? It's a movie, Millennials. No, it's not Ariana Grande. And uh, all of our favorites as we zoom into the mid-year. Now, one thing I forgot to mention, talking about that innocent bystander 2017 Pinot Gris. It's a lovely wine. And uh, it's only about 18 bucks a bottle, Australian. So it's very reasonable. And they're up near Healesville uh, in the Yarra Ranges here outside of Melbourne. One thing about Melbourne that's so fantastic is you can be an hour away and you're completely out of the city and you're in uh, mountains. I mean, no, not like Aspen, not like the Alps, uh, not like the Matterhorn, but you're in the mountains and beautiful valleys and uh the, the wineries here are fantastic, really nice food, reasonably, pre reasonably priced, and, um, or gourmet food, some of them quite astonishing, and beautiful surroundings and, you know, a little bit of a cellar tour, 
have quite a bit to drink and um, then ostensibly drive home. Somebody should be under the limit or at least near the limit. I think near the limit's all right. I'm not really big on rules, as many people know, but I guess we do have to follow guidelines, if not rules. And I uh, highly recommend it. And if you've never visited Melbourne, now, Melbourne doesn't isn't have the big attractions like Sydney. Sydney's got the harbor, the most beautiful harbor in the world. Yeah, San Francisco's got a nice har- harbor, but you know it's all full of ho- homeless junkies. Um, Hong Kong has a nice ha- harbor, but it's all full of you know communist torturing, um, you know totalitarian governmental warriors coming in to kill all the freedom. But Sydney doesn't have these problems. Uh, Sydney is just stunning. So a lot of people don't come to Melbourne as as a rule when they visit Australia, and when they do, it's like, what do you see? There there is no landmark here. Um, the downtown is kind of nondescript. The CBD got some very nice stores, as we know, as I've mentioned in the past, such as Harold's in the city, uh, but it's not a destination city. And it's got nice botanical gardens, and it's got a great some great galleries and stuff. But really, it's the surrounds. The um, um, Mornington Peninsula, which is down south, absolutely stunning. Uh, places like Jackalope, which is a really groovy gallery, winery. Uh, we love going down there. It's an hour away. Boom, an hour. And uh, the Eora Range is north, an hour. Boom. Out to Geelong um, and uh, the peninsula out there. You know, it's... It's amazing. It really is amazing. Living in Northern California, you have a lot of wineries and things like that, and of course France and things like that. But Melbourne is this. This sounds, you know, pretty gay, not in a, you know, LGBTQ kind of way, but in the way you used to be able to say that sounds pretty gay is kind of kind of naff. I suppose you can't say that anymore, but I can because it's my show and people that know me. No, I don't cast aspersions on my gay friends. But um, it's kind of gay to say that Melbourne was one of the most livable cities in the world. Because you look at these lists of the 10 most livable cities in the world. My God, some of them you would never visit for any reason, let alone live in them. But Melbourne's livability is because everything is so close. You can be down where we are in Bayside. You're 20 minutes from the city. You're an hour from the mountains and the peninsula. We we have a beach. It's 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 a bay, not the harbor like Sydney. And you can get down to the ocean, the Great Ocean Road, um, just about an hour and a half away, and you're on the road. And uh, that leads you to Bell's Beach, where the famous, famous surfing competition is. Where the most famous scene in Point Break with Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves was. Except, spoiler Spoiler alert, which every Australian knows, that was not filmed in Bell's Beach. It said it was Bell's Beach, but it wasn't. So when you get to Bell's Beach and you're looking around for Patrick Swayze, (laughs) good luck with that one, dig deep, uh, or looking for Keanu, no, he's filming Bill and Ted's excellent adventure return. Can't wait. Uh, You won't see anything that looks like the movie. Sorry to say, but you'll see some killer shit-ass waves that will wipe you out and smash you, not for amateur surfers. That's kind of was a bucket list thing of me, of mine, me of mine. A bucket list thing of, of me of mine was to have a speech therapy seminar so I could conjugate. A bucket list item of mine was to learn to surf. And I would say the last 25 years, right before the summer, think, oh, I'm going to take a surfing lesson. But it's just one of those things that's escaped me. However, this October, if Queensland, the state, opens its borders, and if this woo flu, you know, virtual hoax that's almost going on now that the big wave has passed doesn't let us travel, God forbid. Um, I'm not sure if there is a God anymore. Um, there's no way he could have created Daniel Andrews, but, um, God willing, my wife and I are traveling up to Queensland. We like to go to Noosa and I might, I might just take that surfing lesson. Surf's up, hang 10, play some Beach Boys music 
and make a fool of myself. Get knocked over, hit my head on a rock. And uh, that's all she wrote. How did we get on that? What are we talking about? Oh, Melbourne, winery, innocent bystander. Most people would go back and edit this out, but one, it fills time, these random recalls. And two, it's just like a chat. It's just like a normal chat. If someone was sitting around the fire with you, having just a completely error-free chat, it would sound too rehearsed. Like the fireside chat we had yesterday at the Savage Club with uh, some of the boys. We had some of my favorite friends a call out to Slavko Piriak. Slavko's a bit upset with me because his name's impossible both to pronounce and spell, um, as in most things in, in Croatia. The King of Elwood, Sam Gaiman, will be having our first private lunch in a week or two since this Wu flu setback has taken us back. Um, our Israeli Mossad agent, Ohad Morag, who gave us the, the Goss on Stan's Donuts a few weeks ago. Solicitor to the Stars. Now, if you're in the U.S., you might not know what solicitor means, but that's attorney. Attorney to the Stars, David Littlejohn. Comedy genius, Andrew McClellan. And Steve Rosendale, who I finally got to meet, who painted that unbelievable painting that I talked about last week. Adding to the mix, the amazing artist, Richard Payne, who we'll be interviewing um, in a few weeks, and his new guest, Gary, an esteemed architect. Um, lots of great conversation. There's a lot of strange things happening in Hollywood. And in the last week alone, there have been, count them, 63, 63 people dismissed from talent agencies, studios, um, films, TV shows, all for some type of, you guessed it, racist behavior. Now, what constitutes racist behavior? What constitutes crossing the line, so to speak? Well, most notably, recently, Jimmy Kimmel, who did some blackface, I don't know, 10 years ago, when he was... Uh, you know, mimicking Carl Malone from the Utah Jazz. Now, my personal feeling is this. When I was a kid, I never did blackface. But if I was going to go as Michael Jackson or, you know, a hero of mine, Magic Johnson or something like that, if I'd put on blackface and a Magic Johnson jer jersey, I would not have even thought in a million years, in a million years, that that was racist. That would have been an homage to what I consider the greatest basketball player, one of the greatest of all time. And I thought it would be, you know, wonderful. Now, obviously, the world has decided that that's racist. So what's so duplicitous, though, is that Jimmy Kimmel get called out and get, you know, forgiven on it. Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, inept isn't even the word, can do it three times and nobody cares. The governor of Virginia can do it. And no one cares. And what do all these people have in common? They're very far-left liberals. So you have somebody like Roseanne, a white Jewish lady who makes one joke, which wasn't even a bad joke, and she loses her entire show. Loses her entire show. You've got Oprah came, came over here 10 years ago, and they removed all the gollywogs from this doll store um, in, in Melbourne uh, on an advanced group because thought she'd be upset. These are dolls that have been around for I don't know how many years. They're dolls. They're, they have no racist basis in them. But obviously it's in the mind of the beholder these days. And that was at a store in the arcade in, in Melbourne. Actually, I talked about Melbourne not having groovy places to visit. The arcade's kind of a cool... The Royal Arcade is a cool place in the city where we have lots of laneways and things like that. When you don't really have something to show off, you show off your laneways. And we do have these Byzantine labyrinthian laneways that go all over the place into cool bars and stuff like that. I wouldn't call it a massive tourist attraction, but it's, it's pretty cool. So anyway, there's been a total of 63 people. I just gave you some of the highlights there. Um that have lost their gigs because of something racist. 
the the tsunami of destruction in New York, the the tsunami of callouts in Hollywood with the stu- and and don't forget Hollywood isn't even shooting right now, um, well shooting people in the streets, but they're not shooting. No production really has begun again. So suddenly it's like this huge ethnic cleansing going on at all the studios and CAA and ICM and all the agencies. Anyone that has ever made a joke in, you know, the year 1830, the first week that Twitter opened, is is getting cleansed. It's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But what is continuing on in the darkness is fashion. Now, why is fashion important? Because Look down at yourself. What are you wearing? Whatever you're wearing, well, hopefully you're wearing some clothes. If you're not, don't send me that picture. And if you are wearing clothes and you haven't entered the How Do You Listen to Bobby contest, you only have only have five more days. Snap a selfie, send it to bobby at apexfeline.com or go to the Way It Is um, website and just shoot it to the email contact. And you can win a $25 Amazon gift certificate. So, you know, you can get some cool music or a DVD or Amazon Prime or whatever it is. Or maybe even some new clothes if you're not happy with what you're wearing. But fashion is art. Fashion over, over the years, most of the heroes that we have and heroines that we have over the years, you remember how they were dressed. I remember Atticus Finch's suit in To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Grace Kelly's dresses, um, you know, the tuxedo worn by um, Fred Astaire in most of his movies, Dancing. And, for instance, in just the last couple of years alone, we've lost Carl Lagerfeld, who was head of Chanel and Fendi. He was in his mid-80s. Um, Alexander McQueen, love McQueen, as you know from previous podcasts, who hung himself, sadly, um, with the rope that uh, Jesse Smollett lost that he uh, uh, then gave to the NASCAR driver. Thought it would uh, help him out. Fake news. Fake news, as we all found out yesterday. Uh, Hubert de Givenchy, um, Azadine Alaya, Azadine, the king of cling, who designed for Dior and Christian Lacroix and Thierry Mugler, James Gal- Galanos which if you grow up my age, every Nancy Reagan gown, um, President Ronald Reagan's wife was James Galanos. And Richard Nickel, Richard Nickel, who's amazing, early 2000s uh, London super edge designer uh, who died of a heart attack. But the labels carry on. And interesting to note, and I did a bit of research and learned myself, um, Karl Lagerfeld's artistic director for 30 years, Virginie Viard, took over for Chanel. And Chanel uses, um, well, Margot Robbie was the face of Chanel um, a year and a half ago. And they they are very good at picking people that are extremely attractive, but seem also accessible, that uh, don't seem imp- like impossibly beautiful. I think it's very, very clever. I think that they um, go for Models that men find attractive, that women find attractive, that women find it accessible. And it was an interesting interview with Virginie Viard, who was asked how she would continue to label. And she said she doesn't think what would Carl do, Carl Lagerfeld, but what would Coco do, Coco Chanel, founder of Chanel. And Alexander McQueen was replaced, I hate to use that word, replaced by Sarah Burton. Um, Gucci owns Alexander McQueen, and Gucci appointed her. Amazing designer, best known for having designed Kate Middleton's wedding dress uh, when she married Prince William. So it's it's just very interesting how these labels find people that are superstars. Tom Ford had resurrected Gucci uh, when Gucci was just an, an old man's kind of wealthy clothing in the 70s and 80s, and then he left to start his, his own label. So... It's an, it's an interesting industry because in film, if a director dies like Joel Schumacher um, yesterday, the film stops, you have to get someone else in, and it's usually not someone to complete the vision 
it's usually someone who can just finish the film. And uh, you had a situation, a film up in Queensland many years ago with Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando, The Island of Dr. Moreau, one of the 11 worst films ever made. It had so much promise. Val Kilmer, oh my God, love him. Marlon Brando, oh my God, everyone loved Marlon Brando. And um, in fact, Val Kilmer um, left a project that uh, was supposed to be a Joel Schumacher film in order to go to Island of Dr. Moreau. But uh, John Frankenheimer, who was directing that, left the picture. Um, They had like about 11 directors on it. It was absolutely a total mess. Marlon Brando wouldn't come out of his trailer. And Val Kilmer had um, recreational hobby issues, allegedly, at the time. And it's so sad because there's so much imagery in that film that is unforgettable. But it's such a bad film. And great little story. Right when the film wrapped, I was on my way to Los Angeles for a casting session on a film that um, I was producing at the time. And I get on the plane, and I'm in business class, and there's a seat empty next to me. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a trip from Melbourne to Los Angeles. This is about a 14-hour flight. wonder who's going to be sitting next to me, you know, um, could be anyone, could be an industrialist, could be a supermodel, could be uh, a politician, could be anybody. Who am I going to have for 14 hours? Hopefully not some geeky salesman who got a bunch of points selling wheels and tires and got an upgrade, and I have to listen to him talk about wheels and tires for 14 hours. Shut up! But lo and behold, Val Kilmer gets on the plane and sits down next to me. So, oh my God, this is one of my film heroes. Um, I can hassle him for 14 hours. Maybe I can even wrangle him into my film. But he had just wrapped Dr. Island of Dr. Moreau, which was an absolute disaster of a shoot. And it had been in all the press and all the trades. And he came in, and he sat down next to me, kind of gave me a bit of a nod, And then he didn't move for 14 hours from looking down at his lap with his arms strategically placed so I couldn't make eye contact for the entire 14 hours and four minutes, except when he went to the bathroom, which was about 22 times during the flight. So I never got to say hi. It was um, strategically blocked. He built the wall. And uh, I then kind of wondered, why wasn't he sitting in first class, a person of his stature, uh, about halfway through the flight? And I wanted to ask him that, too. I wanted to say, hey, it's great to have you next to me here. How come you're not in first class? I thought that would start a sparkling conversation. But no, that's it. Read my magazines, looked at my laptop for not long because it ran out of battery, and they didn't have battery chargers on the planes back then. Sad. Hashtag sad. And in the other Hollywood news, there's a massive war between Winona Ryder, who didn't love Winona Ryder in Heathers, and in Stranger Things too, and Mel Gibson, who she said um, made inappropriate sexual comments to her, and um, racist comments, um, calling her an oven dodger, she is Jewish, and, um, you know, anti-Semitic, homophobic comments, and... um, That's the big news right now, and she is last back, and he's planning to sue her. And uh, we all know Mel. Mel, um, Mel's father is a Holocaust denier. But I love Mel's movies. I know a lot of people say they would never, ever, ever see a Mel Gibson movie. But I love his movies. Oh, what's this? So, you finally arrived. What the hell are you wearing? It's my ass-kicking outfit, bitch! Yes, how did we go from fashion off to Hollywood, then back to fashion again? Well, I'm going to kind of go with what I wore yesterday, what your podcaster's wearing, because I was really spruced up for the Savage Club. I had an amazing mid-length Comme des Garçons black blazer and um, dark striped Fendi trousers, which I can still wear at my age. Yes, I can pull that off. 
my wife even helped me select them. So I'm, I'm not 70 trying to be 30 and, uh, some Prada two-tone shoes and a wonderful black and white rep tie that I got on Bond Street in London last year, back when we were able to leave our shores and travel. So I felt felt very top-notch. We, uh, we have to dress up at the Savage Club. You have to wear a suit or at least a jacket and tie or a cravat or a bow tie or a jabot. Um, it's, it's, it's quite, quite posh. Um, and some people think it's elitist, but uh, I don't. I don't. I think it's just quite nice. My wife thinks it's elitist, but she's very egalitarian, as, um, as we know. And we're going to go right from fashion to what's the fashion of the world this year, the fascist fashion, and that's the presidential race in the U.S. Sorry, it cannot be ignored no matter what country you're in. And just hours ago, the debates were announced between sleepy Joe Biden and President Donald Trump. And the first one will be Tuesday, September 29th at the University of Notre Dame, home of the Gipper in Indiana. And the second one was going to be at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor in October. But the moronic governor there that is absolutely hates the president um, canceled it because she thought it was uh, unhealthy with the Wu flu going on. Like they can't, you know, get a few people in a small studio for the debate and screen them all. She, oh, she, she's pathetic, absolutely pathetic. This is the lady, the governor, that wouldn't let farmers buy seeds and everything. Um, you could go to the grocery store, but you couldn't buy seeds to keep your business going because seeds, buying seeds could be uh, dangerous for the Wu flu. And um, the third one, will be on Thursday, October 22nd at Belmont University in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. And the only vice presidential debate between Vice President Mike Pence and Biden's as yet unidentified running mate, which almost for sure will be a woman of color, if I'm putting my 10 cents down, uh, will be Wednesday, October 7th at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. So I am so excited for these debates because... If you thought President Trump and Hillary got into it, that is like an undercard match for the world championship. This is going to be biblical, absolutely biblical. Biden, who can barely find his way out of his own house, hasn't been seen doing a press presser in 80 days. And, you know, I don't say this to make fun of him, honestly. Um, but certainly has dementia. There's no question. You look at all the tapes of him. He repeats himself five or six times. He can't remember what he said. He's got dementia. He's And four years from now, if he's president, God help us. Um, he's completely unfit um, on a lot of levels. And I don't wish bad health on anyone. That That's sad. And um, President Trump, love him or hate him, um, has everything to lose if he doesn't get reelected. So he'll be throwing the kitchen sink at Sleepy Joe. So it's going to be great viewing. It's going to be great viewing. And uh, very excited about that. Very excited. You should be too. Or not. I think we pay way too much attention to politics, but it's really just seeped into everything. And uh, in the next four to five months, you will see the madness from the, the very far left. Not the Democrats so much, um, uh, I love Democrats. I've got lots of Democrat um, friends. I've got friends from, from, from everywhere. It's the far left that will do anything to blame the coronavirus on President Trump, that will blame the riots on President Trump, that will blame the economy, everything, because they would rather, in my opinion, destroy the U.S. if that keeps him from getting reelected. It's, it's just self-evident. They would rather burn the country down just to get rid of him. That's their raison d'etre. So we'll see what's happening. I'm not hiding anything from anyone with my beliefs there, but we just always have to have that two or three minutes each week just so that we don't forget. Because when the rioters leave the cities and they start coming out to the suburbs and they start knocking <clears throat> on your door, I hope you're prepared. And I do hope you're prepared 
because you won't be able to just open the door and go, oh, hey, I, I support your cause. Thanks. Trick or treat. You better be prepared to be able to do something about it. We're going to flip back into entertainment and go into a couple of older films that um, have prescience today because Louis John Carlino died. He was 88. This kind of came in late as I was putting this podcast together. And he was the writer and director of The Great Santini. Uh, the Great Santini is one of the very powerful films, um, really one of the most powerful films I've ever seen about uh, a military man and his struggle to be loved by his kids and how he abuses his kids, but he's just a hero to his military friends. It's from the novel by Pat Conroy, but Louis Carlino wrote the screenplay. Amazing. And Robert Duvall was astonishing. Um, in his book, um, William Goldman, Adventures in the Screen Trade, where he says nobody knows anything, um, was so amazed that Robert Duvall would do this picture because it makes him look so bad at times. And he talked about so many other actors, whether it's a Tom Cruise or a Dustin Hoffman, who would never have played this role because it makes them look so bad for a while. And they never want to look bad. They always want to look good. They might look damaged or forlorn or hurt or victim, but they never want to look bad. It's an amazing film. But his most overlooked film was Resurrection with Ellen Burstyn. Absolutely phenomenal film. Phenomenal film. And Ellen Burstyn came up with the idea, and Carlino wrote it. And it's a story about a woman who survives a car accident that kills her husband. It's a 1980 film. But she discovers that she has the power to heal other people. And in it, she becomes an unwilling celebrity and the hope of those in desperate need of healing and a real lightning rod for religious beliefs and skeptics. Um, Ellen Burstyn was nominated for Best Actress in a leading role in the film. And one of the things that Carlino said is he spent about a week in Burstyn's home in New York after she had the idea for Resurrection and then produced the script in less than three weeks. And he absolutely loved it because it had so much meaning for a lot of people because it deals with death a lot and the passing over to the other side and the experiences of so many of the people he had read about who had near-death experiences that Burstyn told him in a 2000 um, interview um, 20, years, 20 years later. So many people have written and told me how they have been with their parents and family and helped them cross over because of resurrection. I was, I was very young when, when I saw it. It was 1980 uh, and profoundly affected by it. I can assure you that it does look a little bit dated today, but the subject matter and the acting is amazing. And as someone who's about to turn 67 and knows his mortality and knows that someday, possibly, possibly, I will die, um, everyone wonders as we get older, what, what is on the other side? Is there anything or is there just nothingness? Um, reminds me of why Steve Jobs liked to put his computers to sleep rather than turn them off. He hated the off button because he always liked to believe that there was something else out there and putting the computer to sleep meant that there was that potential for the computer rather than shutting it off, which seems so final, um, which is something that they really didn't explore in any of the Steve Jobs movies. And um, I just am watching right now The Man in the Machine, his uh, documentary, the uh, 2005 documentary, which um, was directed by Alex Gibney. And it's good. Um, the Ashton Kutcher film was good. The... Um, the other Jobs film that came out as a pseudo-adaptation of the novel um, a couple years ago was good. But there has not been a definitive story on Steve Jobs. I'd, lo I'd love to think, um, you know, Game of Phones. I'd like to think that the, uh, the guys, the showrunner that did uh, Game of Thrones or something like that could tackle it and really adapt the novel Jobs the way it should be. And they could do 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 episodes of Steve Jobs' life. I can't think of anyone else who more profoundly has affected our life 
in everything we do, from coming up with the Mac to especially the iPhone, the smartphone. The Steve Jobs film, by the way, was the one directed by Danny Boyle, and it was written by Aaron Sorkin. And I love Aaron Sorkin. He's amazing, you know, the um, social network and West Wing and everything like that. Um, he adapted Walter Isaacson's biography. Now, I've read that biography twice. It's a zillion pages. It's amazing. And I just don't think Danny Boyle was the right director for it at all. And I, although I'm amazed by Michael Fassbender, I don't think he was cast correctly either. I actually think Ashton Kutcher did a better job in the Ashton Kutcher film, but he never gets credibility because he's Ashton Kutcher. But I think he really nailed it. Um, but all of them are bene beneficial. They all have, you know, stories to tell. But I think the definitive, amazing story is yet to be told. And why not, you know, Apple TV? They've got $88 bazillion, unlimited money. And it is uh, the eponymous founder of the of the company. So maybe they've got something in the work. Maybe, you know, David Benioff, who was the showrunner for Game of Thrones, is already in contact. Who knows? Who's going to listen to my idea? Some people. Some people. Every time I think I'm ready to completely retire and not, you know, develop any idea or even send one email about a project to someone, they just suck me back in. No. Can't wait to see that. It'll happen. It'll happen. Um, but we're back in lockdown and um, kind of wrapping up this show. On the 22nd, which was Monday, we were supposed to be able to go to 50 people here in Victoria in restaurants and bars. So if I got the gym did reopen for 10 people, I was able to get to the gym. I'm able to swim again. Thank baby Jesus. But um, no, we had a couple of little cases and some old guy died you know a million people would have died from the flu anyway right now you know i really don't care if there was a, a massive wave i would care yeah you'd want to take some steps but it's like oh someone got sick oh a couple of people in a rest home got sick get on with it the world economy right now is more important than some old people in my opinion somebody's not going to like that that's all right. But um, we're in lockdown, and uh, I think Daniel Andrews did it just to fuck with me before my birthday. He knew I wanted to be in a busy restaurant on my birthday, and he knows how I always call him out on everything, and I think he did the purpose just to get back at me. Well, that's all right, because I will still be going out and having a lovely meal with my wife and some friends around that time, and uh, was going to go to a lovely little place, a little place in Richmond here called Be the Duck with two good friends of mine, uh, Graham and Doug. But I went to book and they just emailed me back and they go, all oh, because of the lockdown, we're just doing takeaway. Or as they say, takeout in the U.S. So you can still come for takeaway. No, thanks. Love your place. I'm not going to drive 40 minutes to Richmond for takeaway. But I will call you out on the podcast as I'm doing because it is fantastic food. The guy that runs it, Tom, oh, pork belly, lamb, roast, everything. Oh, I'm getting hungry. Now I'm actually almost thinking of going there for takeaway. Nope, too far. Also, while we're doing shout outs, a shout out to the master of martinis, Sadir at the Savage Club, and the master of hosts, Pino. Two guys who understand commitment to excellence. And excellence is a good thing. Um, we all want to be excellent. We all want to have an excellent life. Some people really think it's essentially important to live in the right postcode. We didn't have postcodes when I was a kid. It was a zone. Growing up in Sioux City, it was Sioux City 4, Iowa, zone 4. I just thought it was always zone 4. That's where I lived, and I didn't really realize that um, there were different zones, such as Morningside and, you know, the West Side and um, other, other places like that. So... Um, Never really was postcode prejudice, so to speak. And then I went out to University of Colorado in Boulder, and I realized, oh, where you um, where you live in town there might make make uh, a difference. There was the 
80302 postcode and the 80304 zip codes, so to speak, zip codes came in. And um, that's when I started looking at property, you know, when you get out of university and start to think, oh, it does make a difference where, where you buy. Um, wish I'd bought in Boulder, which went from costing nothing to now some of the top property in the world. In fact, Colorado's Aspen's 81611 is the most expensive zip code in Colorado. Should have let go of that timeshare. And uh, then I moved out to California, and I lived in Santa Monica, and I lived in Beverly Hills, and I lived in Pacific Palisades. And interestingly enough, 90402 in Santa Monica is number three in Los Angeles. 90210 in Beverly Hills is ranked number four in Los Angeles, and 90272 in Pacific Palisades is number 27. Um, Santa Monica has a medium price of 4.15 million U.S. dollars now. Absolutely crazy. And here in Melbourne, I live in uh, 3186. But 3142, which covers Hawksburn and Turek, is the second highest income postcode nationally with an average taxable income of almost $200,000 in Australia. We're over in Sydney, 2027, which is Darling Point, Edgecliff, Rush Cutters Bay and Point Piper comes in third. But uh, the reason I'm centering on all of this is uh, a wonderful journalist named Alice Coster in the Herald Sun, whose um, article last week talked a bit about postcode prejudice, that uh, here in Brighton, where I live, um, sometimes when you ask someone where they live, if they say they live in Hampton, the reply is, oh, thus creating a whole new syntax of Hampton O, which is when you meet someone from Hampton, um, which is 3188. And somewhere in the middle between 3186, where I live, and 3188 at Hampton O, is 3187, which is Brighton East, which is not Brighton. But does it matter? To some. But I found that interesting. And uh, I think Alice Coster has coined something that will be in the uh, vernacular for some time to come. In closing... It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse out there with this cancel culture thing and politically and racially and everything. And I just hope people will wade through it and look look for the good in things, really look for the good in things. Um, I don't like getting stirred into the negative. I do like giving my point. I do like giving my opinion. I do like having people be aware of things that they should be aware of because this just isn't going to go away. Um, the flu isn't going to go away. The woo flu that blew in just isn't going to go away. We have to adapt to it and move forward. And the rioting and cancel culture and burning of books and destruction of statues and people coming into homes and attacking innocent families and businesses isn't going to go away. So can we beat it with... Love? Maybe. I do believe that love conquers all. It has in my life. So although I can be an angry old Jewish white privileged white man barking at the moon sometime, and I know I talk about a lot of celebrities, politicians, people I admire, people that are in powerful positions, and you know that I do believe that it's nice to be important. But I'd like you to think this week of spreading the love doing something nice for a stranger, letting the guy or the chick that needs to get in front of you while you're driving, even if you're late, let them in. Just let them in. Even if they don't give you the wave, let them in. Because as I said, yeah, it's nice to be important. But trust me on this one, it's far more important in these times to be nice. Spread the love. Have a great week. Send in those pictures, and we'll see you next week when I'm older.